We are so glad to have you all here with us today. It's truly an honor. If it is your first time here with us, uh, we do want you to know that you are welcome in this place. Also, if you're watching online, it's an honor to have you guys here joining us today. Uh, I've been looking so forward to celebrating Easter with all of you. It's such a great just humbling experience to realize that a sacrifice has been made for me, even though I didn't deserve it, you didn't deserve it, we didn't deserve it, but God has made a way. He has sent rescue to us. Even just these last few weeks, I've been praying about rescue, and I, I don't think in our lifetime that there's been many situations more clearly displaying the act of rescue then September 11th, and uh, many of you, if you're at least in your mid-20s, you remember September 11th, 2001. Even just me saying that, you can probably instantly recall exactly where you were and exactly what you were doing when you heard the news of what had happened on September 11th. I remember exactly where I was. I was on a treadmill in a gym in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, and trying to pass the time in the midst of my awesome dedication to fitness, watching the TV, and all of a sudden seeing on the news as all the channels changed to the news, that there was something very, very different that was happening. And within just a few minutes... I realized that I needed to get home, get to my wife, and get to my two little daughters as quickly as I could because there was something taking place that was different than anything that we had experienced before. Myself, like you, I'm sure, had a sickening feeling within my stomach, uh, an anxiety that came over me that I hadn't ever experienced before as I watched what unfolded. There were two other men who were in New York City at that time, who the same thing happened. They, they were seeing firsthand what was unfolding. A man named Will Jimeno and a man named John McLaughlin. There's their pictures for us right there. They worked for the Port Authority. So they worked right in the midst of all of this. And upon seeing what was going on, they immediately rushed towards the Twin Towers. They headed into the South Tower And as they got there and began to look for people to help them out, the building begins to groan and the the steel begins to cry out as the brick crumbles and the glass shatters and the building itself is about to implode. And these two men do, do what only they could think of doing in the moment and they find an elevator shaft and immediately take refuge in that elevator shaft as the building crumbles down around them as they were on the first floor. And they are now entombed, encapsulated within this elevator shaft. They would spend the next nine hours there. No water, no bathroom, the air filling with smoke, the oxygen depleting, and hope was certainly fleeting. I mean, the minutes must have seemed like hours, and with every minute that went by, they had to realize the reality they may never leave that elevator shaft that they were in. Well, while you and I were glued to our TVs, while we were saying prayers and hugging our loved ones and tears running down our face, there was an accountant in Connecticut named Dave Carnes. We've got his picture here as well. 
He was watching this unfold at his office and he immediately ran in and told his boss, I don't know when I'll be back. And he left and the first stop that he made was to his barber. So he could go get that military haircut that you see there. And then he immediately ran home and grabbed his fatigues as he's been recently retired from the Marines. And then he drove at 120 miles an hour as fast as he could to New York City with the hopes that his clout could get him in with his uniform and with his military haircut. And sure enough, it did. His 23 years experience in the Marines got him in. He was able to quickly find another Marine who was doing the same thing. And Dave and the other Marine immediately began walking around ground zero, sifting through the rubble, listening and looking and searching for any sign of life that they could hear. After hours and hours, they heard a faint. It was a clanging of metal. They dug through the rubble to make their way to this metal as quickly as they could. And when they finally got through the rubble, there were two men, Will and Dave. Will and Dave would be two of 20 people who were rescued out of that rubble, out of 2,700 people. Dave pursued the muffled yells until he finally was able to dig through to that elevator shaft and made his way to Will and John. Dave right there. He stepped out of his accountant suit. He stepped out of his office and into rescue fatigues and immediately went into action for people who could not save themselves. Because of that, Will and John were rescued. Here's a picture of them after they were rescued. Now, we can remember that clearly if we're old enough to remember it. And years have gone by, and it's still fresh. But here's the truth I want you to understand today, and I don't have to do much convincing to get you to understand this. In 2019... Crazy is still crazy, and the world that we live in is still a volatile place. Whether we're talking about abuse or oppressing other people or terrorism that goes on or simply the way that we treat one another or the political divide that just keeps getting wider and wider, and I don't say that to take a side on either side. The point is there are sides, and we get really ugly with one another, and we live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that in a moment, everything could change. We live in a world where there's got to be rescue from the brokenness and the mess that we face. There's a whole lot of crazy around us. And the truth is that life and humanity is broken. And the truth is, every one of our lives, no matter how good your life may be, or maybe you're going through a really difficult time in your life, we all have brokenness within our lives too. And we need rescue within our lives. Maybe it's your circumstances, your relationships, your finances, your physical body. The truth is, we live in brokenness. We need relief and we need rescue. Now, we have to understand that brokenness was never God's plan. Back at the very beginning, God created 
perfection. And back at the very beginning, Adam and Eve chose to sin and brokenness entered the world. And from that point on, God's plan has been and always will be rescue. To redeem the brokenness in the midst of everything that we face, God's plan is for rescue. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28. It says this, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, his clothes was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Now I want to break this down real simple for us. If I could summarize Easter into one simple equation, it would be this. The cross plus resurrection equals rescue. Paul would later go on to describe it as this in Romans chapter 3. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus Christ sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and included them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in the sight when they believe in Jesus. God sent Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, because every one of us live with this brokenness inside of us that we cannot fix. And the truth is, what we remember on Easter is we celebrate, he sent Jesus, and because of the cross and the resurrection, he sends us rescue. Now, it has to be the cross and the resurrection. Obviously, if it just stopped on the cross and there was no resurrection, he was just a good teacher. He was just a good man who gave his life selflessly. But if Jesus rose from the dead, then that brings all of our lives to account. And we have to answer the question and look at our own lives. If Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, what does that mean? And the good news is, it means that there is rescue for our lives. Even non-Christian historians from the first century will tell you how culture changed. Josephus was one of these writers, and he writes about how there was this group of people who believed in the Messiah, and this man was killed, 
And an entire community, an entire culture was changed because they believed that he rose from the dead. At times in my life, as I've had the opportunity to share with people how Christ has changed my life, how he has genuinely transformed me from the inside out, as I've been able to share that with people and I talk about how he has saved me, how he has rescued me, honestly, I usually get one of two responses. Either the first response is, hey, I'm Catholic, you know, so it's like a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? So they don't want to talk about it. Or the other response, and a lot of times, even if they're Catholic, we talk about this too. Saved from what? Rescued from what? And that's a very good question because there's the obvious spiritual connotation that you're going to get from a pastor. You're saved from your sin, the sinfulness within our lives But the truth is, it's bigger than that. Because he was resurrected from the dead, Jesus rescues us in every part of our lives. Our physical bodies, our our mental health, every part of our lives, our emotions and our relationship, he can redeem it all. He gives us a new identity. He takes us from death and gives us life. On Easter, on Resurrection Weekend... Spoiler alert here. You knew what I was going to talk about, right? I mean, here's Jesus. He's risen from the dead. He comes out of the grave. He conquers death and sin. Because he is risen again, he can conquer all of the struggles that we face. That is the rescue that Jesus offers us. And I, I just want to challenge you not to put yourself in a place where you say, oh, yeah, but this is, this is just my own issue, Right? Jesus came to help you even with your own issues. Everything that you face. And you, you may not even be a believer here today. You, somebody talked you into coming to church today. Or you came because it was Easter and grandma said we're going to church. And if you're eating ham at my house, you're, you know, you're going to church. I don't believe that any of you are here by an accident today. Here's what I believe. For every single one of you, whether you come to church every week or you come to church every once in a while, or you're a CEO of the church, Christmas, Easter only, you know, you come and show up, (laughs) or you never come to church, the rescue of Jesus is for you. Because everything that you face, everything that goes on within you, the brokenness of, of the world, the brokenness of your mind, the brokenness of your life and your relationships, that is the rescue of Jesus. All of the junk in my life, oftentimes, honestly, is a result of me. But even though it's a result of me and my own poor choices, that is the grace and the mercy of God that meets us right where we're at. And God says, I know it's your poor choice, but I have come to rescue and to redeem. Sometimes it's easy to see how everybody else needs to be rescued, right? Sometimes it's hard to see it in ourselves, right? If you're at the beach, you get to go away for the weekend, you go down to Port A, and you say everything in your power to make sure that child is rescued. You're going to scream, you're going to yell, you're going to run out there, you're going to get everybody you can to get that child out. What is hard to see, if you've ever been to the beach, and you wander out there, and the waves are gently rolling, you know, you turn around and look, And where you started at is way down the beach. And you don't realize that you yourself have drifted 
away. Sometimes it's easy to see that those around us need rescue. But what I want to assure you of today, every one of us, even if you come to church every single week, we need the rescue that Easter, that the resurrection offers us, even when it's not so obvious. We want you to know today that as we follow Jesus, the power of the resurrection leaves room in all of our lives for his grace and his mercy. We all still need a savior and there's a resurrection for all of us. So I just simply want to leave you today with a few simple steps that we see in scripture and a a quick story to kind of illustrate this for us. And the first thing that we need to grasp is that we all need to be rescued. Can you imagine Will and John from 9-11? They're stuck in that elevator shaft and they hear somebody coming. Hello, hello, is anybody out there? They look at each other and say, you good? Yeah, I'm good. Are you good? And they just stayed in the elevator shaft. I mean, surely they'll just make their own way out of there sooner or later, right? What a tragedy it would have been if Will, in that moment, didn't grab a piece of metal and start clanging it. Over here, over here. They needed to be rescued. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, right? They knew they needed help. They knew they couldn't do it on their own. Psalm chapter 70 says this in verse 1. God, please hurry to my rescue. God, come quickly to my side. And then it goes on in verse 5 and says, But I've lost it. I'm wasted. God, quickly, quickly, quick to my side, quick to my rescue. God, don't lose a minute. That needs to be the cry of all of our hearts, just as David writes here in Psalms. God, come to our side. The next thing that we need to grasp is that we cannot rescue ourselves. The the best of you rule followers in the room, those of you who don't ever cross the solid line in traffic, you follow every rule to a T, you still cannot rescue yourselves. Right? We're still all broken and in need of a Savior. And even if we try to follow all the rules, what happens is like the Pharisees in Scripture, we end up missing the point altogether in the relationship that God offers us. Psalm 49 says this, Really, there is no such thing as self-rescue, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, the cost of rescue is beyond our means. First Timothy chapter 2 says, This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world. He gave himself to rescue us. Galatians 1, 4 says this, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live in. We need rescue, and we cannot rescue ourselves. And then the good news of Easter is that every single one of you can receive rescue, regardless of where you've been or what you've done. 
I want to say that again today for any of you who have a million excuses why it couldn't be you. Regardless of where you've been, what you've done, who you've been with, what your past looks like, where you grew up at, the grace and the mercy of God is for you. Psalm 91, 14 and 15 says this, The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be there with them in trouble. I will rescue them. Notice it says, in trouble, because we're all going to face trouble. And the rescue of God will be with us in the midst of trouble. Let's look at that equation one last time. The cross plus the resurrection equals rescue. Uh, I've got a friend, many of you know him here, but his life so vividly portrays this, how he met the cross. And because of the resurrection, he found rescue. I'm going to invite Al Hasler to come up and share his story with us today. Thank you, Adam. I, I really love this message because I know we all need rescue. I think every one of us has experienced that feeling where you get to some point in your life and you just kind of feel stuck. And what the culture, what the world says is, well, just try harder. Come on, try this program, try that program. And you just feel like, you know, I'm exhausted from trying harder. And the question is, what is it that gets us to that point where we feel stuck, where we, where we need rescue? Is it, you know, is it something our parents did to us? Is it something, uh, some choices we made? Is it just life circumstances? And I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story, and the short version is it was all of those, I think, that led to me getting to that point in life. I grew up in a very poor home, you know, uh, there was my mother and my father and my two sisters and I, five people in a single wide trailer. And that's 10 feet wide by 55 feet long. So five of us in 550 square feet. And that wouldn't have been so bad if my father hadn't been an alcoholic and a very mean and angry man who used to, as they say in Texas, beat the tar out of me, okay? And I don't remember him giving me a lot of advice or telling me a lot of things, but we never went to church, and so one day I asked him, Dad, is there a God? And he just looked me right in the eye and said, no. And so as a 13-year-old, I think I did what seemed logical to me, which is if there's no God up there, then the gods our culture is offering me, they must be the things that will satisfy me. And of course, our culture promises that if you have enough money, you'll be happy and satisfied. If you have enough material things, you'll be happy and satisfied. If you hook up enough and sleep around with the right people, you'll be happy and satisfied. If you just are successful, you'll be happy and satisfied. If you get high, whether it's drugs or alcohol, and party a lot, you'll be happy and satisfied. And so that's what I pursued. And because I was reasonably smart and popular and athletic, I had all those things in abundance, more than, more than I ever thought I would have. And, you know, it just, it just left me empty inside. But I always had an excuse why I wasn't happy. You know, when I was in high school, I was like, well, as soon as I get away from this trailer and my dad, you know, then all these things are really going to be great. And I went on to the Naval Academy and spent time in the Navy. And it's like, well, 
you know, I still indulge in all those things. That was my life. Is like hooking up with whoever I could hook up with, living from one hookup to the next, one high to the next, you know, making money and spending it. And it wasn't satisfying. Well, as soon as I get out of the Navy, then, then it'll be satisfying. And then I went through a bad marriage. And well, as soon as I get out of that marriage and, and I divorced this, my first wife and, and, you know, thought I'd be happy. And then I, I just dove into all those things I've already mentioned even more. Still no satisfaction. So I went to law school and, and you know, not happy there. Same cycle, same kind of things I was, I was doing. And it was like, well, as soon as I get out of law school, you know, it's a lot of work here. Then I'm going to be happy and satisfied. And, and I met Jan and we fell in love and got married. And, and please understand, these were dark and bitter years. And, and that same lifestyle kept going even though I was married. Just from one hookup to the next, and from one getting high to the next, and trying to make a marriage work. And, and you can imagine, with that kind of lifestyle, you really can't keep a marriage. You can't sustain a marriage. And so I told Jan, I'm leaving you, and I, and I moved out. And just a couple of days later, someone told me, you know, we just heard that Jan gave her life to Christ, that she'd become a Christian. And I just, I had to find out about that. So we had lunch together, and I immediately saw that she had a peace and a contentment that I'd never seen in her before. And so for the first time, I decided, you know, I'm going to take a look at this Christian faith. I thought I was too smart to be a Christian. I didn't want to be a Christian. I thought they were a bunch of losers and, you know, praise the Lord. And I didn't want to be that guy. But I was willing to take a look because of what I saw in Jan. And so I started reading the Bible. I started reading the gospel accounts, the historical accounts of the life of Jesus. And what emerged off the pages was this man who was the wisest man that I had ever heard, and loving, and kind, but strong. And I was immediately drawn to him. And his followers were writing these historical accounts, and they said that Jesus willingly died for me to pay my debt. I knew I'd done a lot of bad things. I'd hurt a lot of people. I'd done some horrible things in my life. And that Jesus willingly went to the cross to pay my debt for all those wrong things. And I wanted to believe it. But something inside of me is like, well, how do I know it's the truth? How can I be sure that these guys who were Jesus' followers didn't just make this stuff up after he, was di- after he died just to sort of, you know, make themselves feel better? Well, let's make up a story. We followed this guy who was a fraud. Let's, let's make up this story that he, you know, rose from the dead. And, and I was reading one night, and I got to the point in the historical accounts, it was the night before his crucifixion, and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And his 12 guys were there, his closest friends. And the Roman soldiers came to take Jesus. And those 12 guys fled like a bunch of cowards. And they wrote that down. I'm a trial lawyer. I've had a lot of guys lie to me in court and on cross-examination. But every single time, they lied to me to make themselves look good. No one lies to make themselves look better. I mean, everyone lies to make themselves look better. Never, they never lie that, in a way that would make themselves look bad. And so for those guys to write 
that they deserted their friend in a time of need to make themselves out as cowards, I realize the only reason they would have done that is because they were totally committed to the truth. And if they were committed to the truth when they wrote that they deserted Jesus, then they were telling the truth just a couple of pages later when they said that he rose from the dead. And so on February 6, 1989... I'd made the decision to follow Jesus. I gave my heart to Christ and said, Lord, I don't know what you can make of my life. I don't know how you can forgive me. I don't know where this is going to go. But here's my life. You can have it. And Jesus gently took me by the hand and said, okay. And he's guided me. And I'm so grateful to be able to say that I got out of that cycle. Since, since that day, I've been faithful to Jan. And since that day, I've been on the most amazing, joyful journey you can ever imagine. Because that is the business that Jesus is in. The Bible says we are all slaves to sin. And I was a slave to sin. But Jesus, if you will simply turn to him and give him your hand, he will gently guide you out of captivity and lead you into the most exciting, fulfilling life you can ever imagine. Thank you. In the spirit of celebrating this morning, would you stand and let's worship and sing this out. Let's declare this this morning.